Check out their menu at joesnearpizzalv.com. The National Atomic Testing Museum is a national science, history, and educational institution that tells the story of America's nuclear weapons testing program at the Nevada test site. Located at 755 East Flamingo Road, just east of Paradise, the museum offers immersive, interactive experts for guests of all ages. The museum is Smithsonian certified and open seven days a week. For more information, visit nationalatomictestingmuseum.org. That's nationalatomictestingmuseum.org. The Radio Shopping Show is heard right here on KSHP North Las Vegas, AM and FM, P296HP North Las Vegas, and KSHP.com. Season's going to end on a double doink, 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 doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I don't know the idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea and then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I don't know that idea. That's the result you won't get. It's the Dr. T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. Now in. Hello on a Tuesday afternoon. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. We're celebrating another Las Vegas Aces victory, number 13 last night over the Indiana Fever. And a game that was closer than anticipated. Trailing at halftime, but the Aces had enough to come back and win, make it 13 and 1, six in a row now for the Aces. And the big showdown coming up Thursday night against the New York Liberty, Brianna Stewart and company, Courtney Vandersloot, both of them new to the team, Sabrina Nescu, looking forward to that part of the five-game homestand for the Aces. We'll talk a little WNBA. Sam Gordon's going to join us today. Sam the man, Sammy the bull, Las Vegas Review Journal, covers everything here in Vegas. We'll visit with Sammy. Chuck Esposito will join us from Red Rock on the sports betting side, and you know what today is. Oh, yeah, it's a terrible Tuesday. Why am I smiling, Numchuck, for a terrible Tuesday? Why am I doing that? I'm going to go lucky number 13 for one. That's probably a little bit of it. It's not terrible. No, it's not terrible. That's, that's fantastic. This isn't a fantastic And probably because you're having a great, terrible Tuesday, and I can't wait for it. Okay. Well, we'll see about that. But, yeah, we went a couple weeks without a terrible Tuesday. We got back uh, with it uh, last week because uh, I was on the road and stuff. But, yeah, we're, we're back at it. Uh, with thoughts and fire and all of that stuff. All right. So, um, yeah, summertime, obviously June, July, it is a, a slower time. We get that. But here now being in the sports and entertainment capital of the world, you still got a lot of stuff going on. And it is uh, a privilege and great to have the Las Vegas Aces and the WNBA here, uh, as a primary content and especially. When the team is the best team in the WNBA, have the best record at 13 and one right now, and they continue to roll. And remember, the WNBA All Star Game will be here the same time that the NBA Summer League is here. And the NBA announced uh, last week that uh, you got uh, something Numchuck's going to be very happy with. You know, NBA Con is coming. You you familiar with that? Is it like a convention? Exactly. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know you love that because you like the Comic Cons. You like all that kind of stuff. I really stuff, don't you like know? Comic Cons. You and Philip from Gaul. You guys love that stuff. You know? You know, Joey, he loves that stuff. Who the hell is going to go to an NBA con? It, 
uh, a lot of people. So no, but I'm saying like, is it like signings and stuff like that, or is it more like historical? All of the above. So they're okay. going to have the interactive games. You're going to have basketball courts. So they're going to take the Mandalay Bay Convention Center that area and just turn into NBA dot com or dot <laughs> nba con right you're gonna have all that so you're gonna have games you're gonna have concerts that are gonna be going on and um you got all kinds of signings appearances with uh, nba stars a pretty cool deal and just goes to show you how popular that product is the nba and the wnba here in las vegas for them uh, to do this so another kind of like a a vacationing spot you know, for, for people to come because we know that's what the summer league is. The summer league is like a carnival, as I always say, carnival kind of on steroids for those NBA or just basketball fans to come and walk around and, and to see legends rolling around the concourse and then seeing the up and comers because the quality of play isn't great. I mean, it's basketball. It's guys that are trying to make the NBA rosters, but for the most part, most of the guys that participate, 90% of them are not going to be, you know, on a roster, you know, come October. But like I said, it's, it's a gala. Uh, this is where, you know, the coaches, you know, meet and they have their gatherings. Um, a lot of, you know, off season talks, trade talks, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's a cool time of the year. And when a lot of other cities really have nothing going on, unless they have a professional baseball team, major league baseball team. You know, you don't got much going on. But here in Vegas, it just continues to go and roll and roll and roll. So, all right. So, uh, cool time of year. Again, WNBA All-Star Game on Saturday, July the 15th. Summer League, July 7th through the 17th. Uh, that is all happening. Now you got NBA Con taking place during that same window. So, all right. What day is it, Numchuck? I keep forgetting. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. Last night, we had the culmination of a college baseball season all wrapped up into one game last night, the College Baseball World Series. A tremendous tournament exciting games. Look what you had in the championship game. You had two teams from the same conference, the power conference of the SEC, Florida and LSU, even though they never played each other during the course of the regular season. Never played a series against each other. Very strange in the same conference. Then they never played each other during the course of the SEC tournament. And then when do they meet? Even though they were like two of the top teams in the country all season long. They face each other in the championship series, best two out of three games. Florida, fantastic team, can mash the balls, we've seen, right? They played in eight one-run games, a record in the College World Series. Both of these teams have staved off elimination. LSU had to beat TCU twice last week just to get to the finals. Florida faced an elimination game on Sunday against LSU. So, yes, this series, highly anticipated. Game one lived up to the hype. It was Saturday. It was good. LSU defeated Florida four to three in 11 innings. LSU pitcher Ty Floyd had 17 strikeouts in eight innings pitched. LSU hit a homer in the top of the 11th inning and then they held him in the bottom of the 11th to get the one 
games to none lead in the best two out of three series for the College World Series championship. LSU only used two pitchers in that game. Floyd, 17 strikeouts, went eight innings. Their other pitcher that wasn't their ace either. Neither one was their ace. All right, and he went three innings. All right, so you had so much excitement, so much hype until the end. Sunday's game. 24 to 4 in favor of Florida. Now, exciting the fact that Florida erupted with their back against the wall, but they hit six homers, but they obliterated LSU 24 to 4. So now you have the showdown of last night's game. You're thinking, okay, here we go. One game apiece. The series has been fantastic. The, the, the college baseball world series has been fantastic. And what did we get last night? A dud. We get another dud. In game three, winner take all. What do we have? 18 to four game. LSU wins 18 to four. Sunday was horrendous. Monday was horrendous. It was so anticlimactic. Now, sure, if you're an LSU fan, I mean, great. You're a Florida fan. You're jumping up and down. You score 24 runs. You nearly set a record. One run shy of Notre Dame's record of 1957. You score 24. And then what happens the very next day? You give up 18. You give up 18. But this is college baseball, and this is one of the reasons why people haven't got attracted to it. That's why it's not a big TV ratings booster. It's, it's why it's not a big you know, betting thing. We talked to Jake Cornegay from the Westgate last week. We'll talk to Chuck um, Esposito later in, in today's show. But they don't get a bunch of handle because people think it's like slow-pitch softball. You get all these runs scored. I mean, think about this. You had 28 runs scored on Sunday. You had 22 runs scored yesterday. And then you start a pitcher who gets ripped. Joe Calgani is a two-way player, and he's you throw him out there and he gets ripped right away. I don't know, 18 to 4 and 24 to 4 in a championship series doesn't scream like, wow, that's great. So for me, very anticlimactic. I was hyping this stuff up. Two great teams, but man, did it fail. I mean, at least give me something like six to four. You know, give me something like five to two, something, but 24 to four and then 18 to four to wrap it up for the championship. Very anticlimactic. All right. Speaking of that, anticlimactic. How about the Cubs and the Cardinals over the weekend? How about that, huh? Yeah, we're excited about that, aren't we? The excitement between these two historic teams. The rivalry that we have. How about the anticipation? How about the fans from each city traveling to the other team's ballpark, huh? Hey, let me ask you a question, Numchuck. Where was this weekend series at? Was it at Wrigley Field? Iconic, historic Wrigley Field? Or was it at semi-iconic Bush Stadium in St. Louis? It was at iconic <laughs> Wrigley East. Wrigley East, it was. No, it wasn't. It wasn't at Wrigley Field. It wasn't at Bush Stadium. It wasn't even in the United States of America. You had to go to London, England to go see the Cubs and the Cardinals. We had to go to the home of West Ham United. How's my Paul Buck Power Stewart voice doing right now? That was a little, that was a little actually, actually pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty I, can, good. I can get a, get a good uh, English accent, but sometimes I get Crocodile Dundee and then I start throwing in the Australian. I say, Hey, mate, how you doing? Oh, slap your face because you're not a mate because you're a, you're a limey. Isn't a limey a Brit? I don't know what it is, but yes, the game was in London, England. All right. Now, the last time 
London Stadium hosted a series in 2019. You may remember this. Yankees and the Red Sox. Slugfest City. The two-game series saw the teams put up 50 runs. What is this? College Baseball World Series? Yankees swept the Red Sox 17-13. Football game score there. 12-8. Maybe it could be a football game score there. Maybe cricket. Who knows what? I don't know how they score cricket. I just know they last for like three weeks. Tom Ricketts, the Cubs president, said this. Here's this quote. The MLB London series between the Cubs and the Cardinals has been in the works for years now, and we're thrilled to finally be able to bring you one of baseball's biggest rivalries to the fans abroad. We hope that this series not only excites and entertains, but brings more international sports fans to the game we all love. That was Ricketts said before the game started over the weekend. Cardinals CEO William DeWitt says this. The Cardinals are excited and honored to be part of the London series. The Cardinals and Cubs rivalry is one of the best in sports, and it'll be exciting to bring it to Europe for a new audience to experience. I have no doubt that the passionate sports fans in London will love these games, and we look forward to creating some new Cardinals fans overseas. You know what I say about that? I say rubbish, to put it in English terms, or hogwash in American terms. How's that? Because this benefits only one entity, all right? It benefits Major League Baseball owners. All of this money that's generated from the London games, you know who it goes to? It goes to the London organizers and, to you guessed it, Major League Baseball. That's right. It goes in the owners' pockets, all right? British fans, does it benefit them? British fans and baseball? We talked to Paul Bunk Power Stewart about this yesterday. Go back and listen to that interview. It doesn't benefit the Cubs. It doesn't benefit the Cardinals. It doesn't benefit the fans of those home cities, do they? No. Why? Because they can't even go to the games. Don't I don't want to hear people say, oh yeah, uh, Cubs fans are gonna pack up, they're gonna go to England and spend about 10 grand to go see a couple games. Cardinal fans aren't gonna do that for the most part. Cubs fans aren't gonna do that for the most part. Unless you're loaded. No. But what this does here, it kills these two teams' fan home bases. And there are no makeup games here, okay? You took a game away, a home game away from the Cubbies. You took a home game away from the Cardinals. You took those games up away. Those are not makeup games. No, they gave them to England. Right. Why? Because Major League Baseball is greedy, no different than the NFL, no different than the NBA, because they want to sell you this garbage that we're trying to grow the game globally. Hey, if you want to do that, and like I said time and time again, you want to do that with the NFL, you want to send the Jacksonville Jaguars, or when the Raiders, when they were Oakland, when they couldn't sell it anyway, the Tennessee Titans, when they couldn't draw more than 35, 40,000 fans to a game, you want to do that, go ahead, take away a home date, which is still ridiculous. You shouldn't do it. But lower level teams. And then what happened? These teams started to complain. We got to go to England again. Well, then they finally said, okay, now everyone's got to go. And Packer fans and Steeler fans and those other organizations said, well, no, 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 no. We're not going to give it up. We'll give up a Lambeau Field game? We only get eight of those a game, eight a year. Are you kidding? No, we're not going to do that. But yeah, this is what has happened in sports. Now, this Major League Baseball fiasco is part of the MLB World Tour. Familiar with this? It's a program meant to bring baseball to different countries in an attempt to expand fan bases beyond their United States market. The program is to develop 
a slate of games, as many as 24, to be played in Asia, Latin America, and Europe through 2026. So that means we got another three years of this nonsense. All right. All of these games played in these city or these countries, I said. All right. And these are in addition to those regular season games that we just witnessed in England. Okay. But up to 16 more exhibition games are also in the mix. While you have meetings in the Tokyo Dome that occurred since 2000, because Japan has a big appetite for Major League Baseball, as we know, we get that. But the idea of this new program was to bring the league to countries less traditionally associated with the sport. So where are we going to go? Indonesia? Are we going to go to Croatia? Croatia. I'm down. I'm I'm down. That in Germany, I'm fine. But they don't care about baseball in these countries. They don't care. Are we going to go to Qatar? Or Qatar? Take Take your pick, how you want to say it. This is what Major League Baseball is planning. And it's taking away games from these home cities. Players don't want to make these, you know, 14 hour ventures and travel one way. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a downright joke for this to have Major League Baseball insult the intelligence of the fans by saying, everybody wants it. It's good for the game. It's just lining up the pockets from a revenue stream that normally they wouldn't get. People from a different country. Companies from a different country. Yeah. How about that? Did you like getting up at about 6 or 7 o'clock in the morning to watch Cubs Cardinals? It was 9. 9. Okay. Still too And it, it was horrible. It was. It was. Right? And again, the slugfest about... You know why it was a slugfest? Well, because what, the fences are a joke, right? So... They moved them in. I, I moved them well, back. No, they moved them out. Yeah. And they're still 330. Right. 387, 392 dead center. It was 385 to dead center when they were yeah. with the Yankees Red Sox. Yeah. 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 They don't know it's what they're insane. doing. They don't know what they're doing. So I actually have a possible solution to this. Okay. So we're doing London games. They have London baseball or UK baseball, British baseball, whatever it is. Couldn't we do like an exhibition? Our Cubs versus their, their best team. Their, their, uh, Paul Buck Power Stewart their Wranglers. Buck Power, yeah. Or, or whatever he played for. You know, or, or like when, sure. like when we do, Japan, sure. like when we play in the, yes. in the Asians. Right. We, we can play the, the Japan, the China teams, all those major teams and have fun with it. And you said the key word there, Todd. You said the key word. Exhibition. Yes. Put it in March. Yeah. All right. Put it in March where it goes and do that. You want to get some guys together and you want to tune up for the World Baseball Classic? Heck, I'm even fine with that. Take Team USA and have them do a tune-up game in England or, no, or Germany. I, I think every or, you know? team should have to go at least once just to random places. You know, but like make it an exhibition make, game. But yes, make it an Not exhibition game. Not regular season because now, what are you doing with the Cubs and Cardinals? Now you're going to have to give them an extra day or two's rest because you're going to get the jet lag and you're going to get oh. right back into that Major League Baseball grind. When you've been playing nonstop now since April the 1st, it's a joke. It's ridiculous. And again, I, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the NBA, I, you know, wanting to go to China, all this other stuff, and the NFL, more and more of these games during the regular season, you know, forcing, you know, uh, teams to give up home games. No, it, it's ridiculous. Doesn't make any sense at all. Get rid of it. All right. Back to Major League Baseball. Ooh, back to baseball? Yes. Let's go. I got to talk about this Houston Astros and Los Angeles Dodgers series. Because 
It was highly anticipated for so many reasons, right? You had the three games. All three games were very good, very competitive. On the field, they were amazing. But in the stands, ridiculous. And even in the television booths, ridiculous. How does ESPN and Fox start off their broadcast? They want to go back to 2017, and they want to play old clips of Jim Crane and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman talking about, yes, we were wrong what we did, and they were. There's no question about it. But for for television and especially Dodger fans to still be bringing up the Astros sign-stealing scandal is a joke. All right? Here's what I don't get. All right? Now, now, Grant, I will say this, okay? The Astros used video monitors. Illegal, okay? Granted, no question, I get that. Remember, I'll repeat myself again. Was not an Astros fan when this happened, okay? So I'm not, you know, sitting here banging the drum, haha, or a garbage can, yeah, for the Astros, okay? But six years later, for teams like the Dodgers and the Yankees to still have this bitterness towards this team, I don't understand it. I will never understand it, all right? Because remember, even though it was illegal, we've had people on this show who are in Major League Baseball. Remember, they were not the only team doing it. There was about a half a dozen to a dozen teams that were doing this, and yes, the Astros got caught. But again, remember, folks, that is not why the Houston Astros beat the Dodgers. It's always so convenient to say, after the fact, oh, our team lost. Let's let's try to find an excuse here. What is it? Is it weather? It was injuries? What is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, they, they, che- they cheated because they knew what pitches was coming. Hogwash. Dodger fans still crying about this? Losing to the Astros in 2017, six years later? Hearing fans booing, throwing stuff on the field. And it's funny because every year there's less and less Astro players that are on this team. You had two. You had Jose Altuve and you had Alex Bregman and they're booing their lungs out. At least some intelligent Dodger fans didn't boo, you know, Martin Maldonado and, and, and others that, you know, had nothing to do with it. Jeremy Pena, because remember a few years ago they were booing everybody. Like, what are you booing this guy for? So question, question for you. Yes. When, like, Verlander comes and plays, yeah, do they boo him? Do they boo all these people that were on the 2017? I'm sure. I'm, I'm, you know I'm, like, I'm sure. But, you know, it's more because the Astros, the Astros are coming and they beat us. All right. So let me clear this up because so many other people, you know, especially talk show, they don't want to, they don't want to touch upon this. I don't know why they don't want to talk about it. It's like they think it's controversy or something like that, but I'm just coming to you from a logistical standpoint. Yeah. Dodger fans are going to be upset with this, but here's the dealio. I don't understand the bitterness. I don't understand the crying. The sign stealing had nothing to do with this reason for this. This was a 2017 Dodgers Astros. Heck of a series. One of the best. It was a seven-game series. Houston won four games to three in closely contested extra inning games. Now, if there was such an advantage here that uh, Dodger fans claim for them losing, why did it go seven games? Why wasn't it a clean Astros sweep? Why weren't these games just not competitive? Why? Because the sign stealing had nothing to do with it. And again, anybody knows anything about baseball? We've been stealing signs forever. 
forever. That is an art to steal signs. But yeah, they used electronics. Okay, fine. If you're putting down one for a fastball, two for a curveball, three for a changeup, you wiggle the fingers, all that stuff. Okay, mix up your signs like most teams do. And then how do you know it's the first sign? It could be the second sign. It's supposed to be the third sign. Well, that's what teams do. They mix it up. So these convenient excuses that we've been having to hear about for six plus years is ridiculous and is, is a joke. And I'll point this out. All right. Why the sign stealing had nothing to do with Houston b- beating the Dodgers in 2017. Who had the home field advantage in this series? The Dodgers did. Yeah. The Dodgers did. All right. And if the Dodgers were, were, uh, rather the Astros were so proficient about knowing, knowing what pitches were coming and just raking the ball out of the yard left and right. Like I said, it would have been a sweep. It would have been 3-1. You would have lopsided scores, but you didn't. Yeah, we're good. Do you know what two, the two of the three games the Dodgers won? Do you know what the scores were? The Dodgers defeated the Houston Astros 3-1 to in game one. And I believe it was game six, 3-1. to Now, if you know the signs, you're telling me Houston only got one run? How about maybe you couldn't figure out the pitching of Dallas Keuchel? Okay, or Joe Musgrove, or Justin Verlander, and that Astros pitching staff. Think about that. But for you to say that they knew what pitches were coming and they're raking, it didn't happen that way. And I'm bringing this up because Dodger fans are still whining and crying and think that they got the World Series taken from them. You know what that is? That's entitlement. That is pure entitlement. They think, oh, we, we we deserve to win? No. Score more runs. Play better defense. Solve the opponent's pitching. That's that's how you win. All right? And like I said, two players that are still there, you run out of people to boo. Do you know what Dodger fans did this weekend? And they've done it before? Did they have the inflatables? They booed Dusty Baker. Dusty had nothing to do with it. He was not there. He took over the train wreck of a mess in 2020 and cleaned it up. Give him credit for that. But here's the most important part. He is one of your own. Dodgers Hall of Famer. Guy that won a World Series with the Dodgers. And you're booing your own? Did, did you boo Steve Garvey when he came back? When he was a Padre? Did you, did, did you boo Davey Lopes, Maury Wills, all these other uh, people? Other players, Ron Say? Ron Say, where'd he go, Numchuck, after the Dodgers? Cubbies. When Ron, when Ron Say retired as a Dodger, they brought him back. Did they boo him? No. Of course. This is what I'm talking about. You're booing a guy that helped you win a World Series. Silver Slugger Award winner. I mean, the list goes on and on. Dodger fans, for the most part, people that engage in this behavior are ignorant. Plain and simple. I don't get it. I don't understand the bitterness. I've had it. I'm fed up. It's six years later. Quit already. And you know who's just as bad? Those Yankee fans. Those Yankee fans. Oh man, they beat us to get to the to the uh, to the Dodgers of the World Series. Same thing that happens in New York. Dodger fans, Yankee fans. You guys are supposed to be smarter than this, and and you're not. The Yankees couldn't beat the Astros then. They can't beat them now. They haven't defeated the Astros in a series in six plus years. Fact. Yeah, just very, 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 very irritating. Stop with the booing. Stop with the nonsense. Stop with all that. 
you just weren't better than the Astros in that year. NHL awards were last night at the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville. Hart Trophy MVP goes to Connor McDavid. Norris Trophy, the best defenseman, all right? Eric Carlson, San Jose. Jack Adams, best coach, goes to Jim Montgomery of the Boston Bruins. See where I'm going with this? What's what's missing here? Any Stanley Cup champion. No Golden Knights player got an award last night. Now, you could say, well, that's horrible. It's terrible. Do you know it's only the fifth time it's happened in history of the National Hockey League? I believe the last time it happened was something like 10, 12 years ago. Why? Well, I guess you could say, and I guess it's a pretty good argument or excuse, don't know if I'm buying it, is the Golden Knights had so much depth and they had so much balance that there wasn't that one star player. I guess I'm buying that. But what about the Jack Adams Award? Shouldn't it go to Bruce Cassidy? Shouldn't he be the coach of the year? Should that be a no-brainer? You give it to the Hammonager that replaced Bruce Cassidy in Boston? The Hammonager whose team got eliminated in the first round at home ice with the best record? What's going on here? It's it's a popularity contest. That's all it is. Connor McDavid? Connor McDavid. Mm, okay. Didn't even get to the Western Conference Finals. Right? Exactly. And the other reason that Vegas didn't have anybody, half the, half the season we're dealing with injuries. We had five goalies. There was no way we were going to win the goalie award. There's, you know I, get, I, I get that. I'm like For the regular season, I get that. that's why I didn't bring up that. Yeah. I didn't bring up the goalie award. Didn't bring up. But, you know, no Marshy, Carlson, Eichel. Who else had fantastic years, you know? You know? That had really good years. Sure, okay, maybe not better than some of those other players from losing teams. Some teams that didn't make the playoffs. (laughs) San Jose? San Jose? Eric Carlson, San Jose? Is that a misprint? They get William Carlson instead of, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so craziness. All right, so no award winner, but that's okay. The Vegas Golden Knights get the last lap with the Stanley Cup. I will leave you with this, my friend. And I want you to pay attention to this, Numchuck, because this is this story's got your name written all over it. Steve Lemke resigned as the assistant women's bowling coach at Stephen F. Austin University. All right? Do you know why Steve Lemke got released or got fired from his job as the assistant women's bowling coach? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. Well, because... He had an affair with one of the athletes. Not not a good luck, right? Here is Steve Lemke's quote. I knew it was kind of a no-no, but there's not a rule saying it can't happen. There's not a rule saying, hey, you know, I'm going to go to jail for this or anything like that, that I'm doing something totally wrong. It's not etched in stone. I guess it's just an ethics code. Like, we frown upon that, but there's no rule, and there's no law broken. (sighs) How about that? Had an affair with one of the athletes. Yeah, you probably, that's, that's a good idea. Here's the kicker to the story, though. 
Who do you think the head coach is of the Stephen F. Austin women's bowling team? He's the assistant. Do you know who the head coach is? Oh, it's got to be his wife. His wife. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Cheating on the wife with the players on the same team. Hey, how are those road trips? Hey, honey, I got to go uh, do a bed check. Yeah, um, yeah are, we, are we done with our business here? Listen, it's at 9.30. I got to get going, yeah. Hey, Amber. Yeah, you there, Amber? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Oh, I got to go next door. Hang on. Tiffany, you still awake? You good, Tiff? Okay. Oh, I got. I got to get back to. Uh, I got to get back to the head coach. All right. Bed check. Good. All right. Well, oh, sit up your pants, numchuck. There you go. How's that story? Doesn't it kind of have a familiar ring? I you probably not. I think it has a familiar ring that we've seen this in a Seinfeld episode. Oh, where this whoa, guy, where this this guy's making the excuse. He's making the excuse. Why well, can't I think of what episode that is? I, I, I you know, it's got to be George, right? Yeah, what is it? the cleaning lady. Yeah. Is that the one? Do we have a clip? No, Go- <laughs> no, we don't have a clip. Oh, uh, there's your terrible Tuesday takes. All right, all right, we continue on. Sam the Man Gordon is going to join us. We will talk all things with Sam Las Vegas. We'll talk WNBA. We got boxing to talk about. Raiders and a whole lot more. Hey, this is Steve Heitner, and you're listening to TC Martin. He's huge, baby. Westgate Las Vegas inside the world-famous Superbook Fridays. Our Friday home. Come on out, see the show live. Marco D'Angelo back from vacation, and I'm tired of seeing his Speedo pics and naked bobbleheads and all that sort of thing. I don't know. Hey, speaking of bobbleheads, I got a story for you. You'll, you'll appreciate it. Hold on, hold on. But Yeah. I kind of asked you something yesterday. Did you bring one? You asked me something yesterday. What would you ask me? Well, you asked me if, if I wanted to go to the game. I asked you if you want to go to the game, correct? Yeah. yeah. And then I said I couldn't make it. Right. Can you grab me a bobblehead? Oh, no, I couldn't grab you a bobblehead. I mean, no. But um, I got Chelsea Gray to sign a bobblehead last night. Nice. Yeah. Did you get her to sign the bobblehead or the box? So it's funny because I was given the box, and so I had her come over and do the post game. Yep, I saw that. interview. All right, and so had the sharpie all ready to go. Uh, I had uh, my engineer take it out of the box, and she signed the base. Nice. Now, w- would you prefer that or, or the box? I didn't. I didn't know. Is there supposed to? Be, is there etiquette one way or the other? Uh, not really. I mean, it's. I, I think it's more valuable. Outside, if it's just signed on the real, but I, but I mean, because you're technically you opened it, yeah, and you know did that, but I mean, it's the I think it might be the like it's basically the same thing. Okay, but why would you want to do the box and just see the picture of the box, or why wouldn't you want to have the bobblehead like bobbing around on your desk, or you know, and, and then have her sign the base? What if some idiot just walks by at your desks and? Well, it's funny you say that. Oh, you broke it, didn't you? No, I did not. I did not. So again, did Gina break it? Well, oh god, no, that didn't happen. So here we go. The my man Angel takes it out of the box very carefully. All right, Chelsea's coming over. 
I have the Sharpie. I said, hey, Chels, go ahead. Sign your bobblehead as we start the postgame show. Chelsea picks it up. Chelsea breaks her own bobblehead. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I don't, I got to take a really good look at it again and to see, and, and she signed it, but it's the bobblehead. And then they, it's like in one hand, she's holding the trophy, right? Well, the trophy part came off. So it wasn't like a split or anything. So I don't know if this is really that bad. I don't if know it's, if it's salvageable if or it's not. A break or if it's actually like I'm yeah, supposed to come out yeah, possibly. I, I don't know. But when she picked it up, she went like, I, I think, well, went across on air, but I don't think she said anything bad. She was like, Oh no, I, I broke it. <laughs> it's like, or, but so I don't know if it's damaged or not, but, uh, how about that? Yeah. No, I didn't do it. Engineer didn't do it. She did it. You saw her. She owes you one. I didn't. You should have. Not yet. She been smart. I, because again, now, again, I'm doing the post game interview. Uh, Angel, engineer at large, uh, it, it put it back in nice and neat. So I haven't then took it home. So I haven't even opened it up. So I'm not sure how bad it is, but I saw the thing just dangling on, on the desk, the, the trophy. <laughs> at least she didn't do that to the real trophy. True. True. There you go. Chelsea Gray bobblehead night. Chelsea Gray, 25 points last night. A guy who knows a thing or two about the aces and all things Las Vegas. My man, Sam, the man, Gordon, was shaking. TC, how you doing? Happy Tuesday. Appreciate you having me on the show. Hey, I appreciate you joining us, man. So, uh, Sam, how often are you getting out to the Michelob Ultra Arena, man? I'm missing you. I mean, you got to come and join me for these some half times. I will be there Thursday. Big one against the New York Liberty, huh? Book it. Book it. My halftime guest has been booked. There it is. You saved me a lot of work. I- you know, <laughs> I appreciate you. I'm looking forward to it already. All right. So what's your take on the aces so far, man? We talk a lot uh, about the aces, of course, in this show. They're now 13 and one, six in a row. Uh, average margin of victory in this win streak, Sam, 20 points per contest. Uh, what do you think, man? Uh, I think I'm watching. I think we are collectively watching the greatest team ever assembled in WNBA history. TC, I, I think. Uh, statistically, they fit that profile. I mean, they were obliterating records for offensive efficiency, for net rating. You just mentioned how dominant they've been on this winning streak. And then, you know, from an test standpoint, you bet everything that you see backs it up, right? You have the best player in the league in Asia Wilson, the best point guard in Chelsea Gray, the best two-way player, two-way wing player in Jackie Young, who's a, a becoming a superstar in her own right. You have Kelsey Plum, who was just uh, first team all WNBA last season and is the, yeah, you can make the case she's the best microwave scorer, uh, in the league. You have Candace Parker who fits in and does all, you know, she's just been a seamless fit as she gets more and more comfortable. We know all the things that she does well. You have the best three and D wing coming off the bench in terms of reserves and Alicia Clark and the best backup big in the league now. And Kia Stokes plus the best coach in Becky Hammond. It's the, what we've seen so far is I think exactly. What, what I expected, I wrote a column for the paper going into the season that this is the most talented team of all time, and it's up to them to determine if they're going to go down as the greatest team of all time, and they're coming out and handling their business. So it's it's been um, it's been an incredible start to the season. I think Thursday um, it will be fun for sure. Just it's, it's a, in a team in the Liberty with we know the firepower they possess. I think the, the biggest challenge for the Aces, and again they've answered the call, is how do you get up? For every single game, when you're this dominant, when you're this talented, when you're this good, they really only have to play a good six-minute stretch or so 
you know, throughout the course of the game to build separation. And, and oftentimes it's a lot better than just one six minute stretch. So we'll be really interesting to see uh, how much the Liberty push them. But, but so far through 14 games, you see, this is the best team that, uh, you know, dating back historically, this is the best, this is the best uh, assemblance of talent and the best basketball team so far that we've seen in the WNBA's history. They have, a, they have to obviously win the title to finish that job, but, but that potential is right there. And, and they've just been so good. Uh, can beat you in so many different ways, inside, outside, uh, spread, pick and roll, transition, post ups, whatever. They have the personnel to, to play any kind of style and really do whatever they want. That's what they've done in the entire WNBA so far. Couple of points uh, on that, uh, Sam, is that, you know, I remember that article that you wrote in the beginning, uh, you know, talking about the, the fantastic, uh, potential this team had, uh, one of the great, you know, could be one of the greatest of all time. And they're showing that right now. And I don't think I've, I've heard anybody actually say it like you said it. It's like, Hey, I think I, I, this is the greatest team of all time. And you can go back to those Houston Comet. Uh, teams that won, you know, the first four championships. Uh, there were some, some great teams, LA Sparks teams back in the day as yep. well, too. Minnesota Lynx, you can say that, but you're right. This, this team is phenomenal. Um, they are outstanding. And, um, when you're talking about a team that's 13 and one, I agree. So you, you're spot on. And like I said, you didn't even mention like Raquana Williams. And when she gets back, you talk about microwave. I mean, that's what her role is. So you add her to the mix. And then, you know, if they stay relatively healthy free, there's no stopping this team. No, absolutely not, TC. And let's not forget how good Raquana Williams was in, in, in the postseason. Yes. How many big shots she hit and how she was the X factor. This team, I mean, she was the, the top reserve last year, really the only reserve. And now when she gets back, you're legitimately eight deep with Kirsten Bell continuing to develop. Uh, her game as well, more of a, we've seen kind of flashes from her. So, you know, by the end of the season, perhaps they're nine deep. It's, it's, they're just, they're loaded. It's just everywhere again, DC, you can play any style, any circumstance, depth, shooting, uh, interior post play, perimeter play, slashing, cutting. I mean, this is what we're seeing. Um, I mean, offense, defense, two way play. I mean, we are seeing again, we're in the midst of watching history, provided the, the aces stay relatively injury free and they're so deep they can even you know afford an injury not that anybody wants that or anything but because of the depth like you mentioned they've you know that you're they're able to absorb an injury but provided that they say injury free uh the the, the record that they want to have i don't want to you know undermine or, or, or underestimate the rest of the league but it feels like the only team that could really stop them is themselves when they don't put together a, a full game or even you know a majority of a game but but again they've They've come out so far. They've done that. They've, they've weathered storms. They've had dominant performances. They've executed in crunch time. There's been so many games where it doesn't even come down to crunch time. Um, even more, I think, dominant than the team that I thought they would be uh, coming into the season. So now, uh, again, Thursday, huge game. The other quote-unquote super team uh, in the league, the New York Liberty, Brianna Stewart, Asia Wilson, the best rivalry, you know, kind of player rivalry in basketball that we have going on right now, and now it's by coastal So, uh, I'm expecting an absolutely raucous environment at, at Mickle Balcho Arena. The, the crowd is, the crowds this season have been fantastic. I saw a story on LV Sports Biz that the attendance numbers are way up this year. And that's, that, that's a byproduct of the, of the team that the Aces have put forth. They put forth, they are putting forth the best basketball team again in WNBA history and, uh, as the defending champions and, and, and the crowd, the crowds of Las Vegas has responded. The crowds have been great. So. Uh, expecting another Rockets one Thursday, and again, maybe the first true measuring stick game 
um, that we're going to get for the Aces this season. Sam Gordon, fine columnist with the Las Vegas Review Journal. And we always talk about this, Sam, that you cover everything here. I want you just to expand a little bit more here because there will be some people say that I'm a little bit skewed, okay, because being with the organization calling the games and, and that sort of thing, I, I get that. But there are still some I'm going, to, I'm going to say some. I'm not going to say all. I'm not going to say a majority. I'll say some media people that still maybe are not giving the Aces that much love. They don't understand the league. There are still those sports fans that maybe have not seen a game or don't watch a game or don't want to watch a game, and they don't understand the magnitude of this team and this league, the rich history of this league of 27 years. What would you say as kind of being that guy, Sam, in the middle, the guy who covers all sports, what would you want to say to fans that still are maybe either kind of pushing the aces under the rug or not giving them the, the, the love that they, they deserve? How do you put it in context for people who are not hip to what's going on with this team? Well, it's, I mean, I think just again, the, the brand of basketball that they play is beautiful for, for, for people who like watching the game be played the right way with teamwork with passing, with cutting, with sharing, with, with adjustments, with all those things, uh, th- that's how the Aces play. And the environment at games is, is beyond it's, – it's not just a game. I mean, I think it's a credit to the, the, the production staff, everybody, you know, the Aces, whoever they work with, whoever they contract uh, with, and, and obviously their own just kind of understanding of the market of Las Vegas that fans come – it's an entertainment experience. I mean, the, the crowds are, are often awesome. The, the, the in-game promotions are very much – uh, thematically based around the, the, the team and the city and whatnot and are very, very good at, at kind of engaging the fans. And the, it's, it's just, I mean, it is the world class basketball. It's the best basketball players in the world, literally for the aces, right? We just kind of at the top of my segment, TC talked about how many of the quote unquote best the aces have on their team, right? They have so many great players, a great coach. Uh, they, they play the game the right way. And it's, you know, for fans, uh, I think it, the, the fans that come anyway sure seem to have a great time. I mean, that, there is a legitimate home court advantage that I think really started to develop. I mean, it's been there to a certain degree, TC, since the team got here in 2018. But last year in the postseason, I mean, th- those crowds were unbelievable, uh, just how loud and how enthusiastic they, they are. That's translated over to this regular season. So it's, it's a, it's a fan friendly environment. It's world class basketball. And whoever goes to games and sees this team play, Again, we'll see the greatest, what I believe, after the season, when it's all said and done, and when we get 15, 20, 30 years removed from this and have a little bit more context, to understand how historically special this team is when you factor in the greatness of the players uh, and the coaching staff involved. So they, they have, uh, it's, they're, they're the, again, barring a series of significant injuries, they should coach to their second straight championship and, and uh, it, it really have helped set, I think, the, the, the tone here for this city. Uh, about you know what what basketball what the WNBA can be uh, at the highest of levels. There it is. All right, Sam. Let's uh, talk a little Raiders here. As we know, uh, you know, training camp is oh about four or five weeks away here. Um, Josh Jacobs. All right, sends out a yeah. cr- cryptic tweet last week saying bad business. Uh, we know that he's not happy, but he's going to get paid handsomely. You got the Jimmy Garoppolo situation where, you know, he's recuperating, not sure when and if he's going to be ready. Well, he, he will be ready uh, eventually, 
But uh, now there's talk that Josh Jacobs actually could hold off, uh, hold out of training camp, uh, and maybe even go into week one of the regular season with the uh, contract negotiations. Uh, give me your thoughts about where the Raiders are specifically with these two elements right now as we sit here getting ready for training camp. Yeah, TC. First, let's, we'll touch on the, the the kind of Josh Jacobs his situation. Um, where, where things are at, right? You touched on it just again, a little bit of context. He led the NFL in rushing last year. First team all pro graded out. You know, you go to the advanced metrics. He was the best running back in the league in 2022. They're relatively durable. One of the most productive players, uh, on the team. His, his, the, the entirety of his tenure going back uh, to 2019 and also somebody who, who emerged, I think, really last season as a leader in the locker room and was, uh, was, a, was named a captain towards the end of the season. So that, that's kind of, you know, contextually where, where things are at. From his perspective, from his side, you go to the Raiders where they were six and 11 last season with Josh Jacobs having a career year and where they're at. It's, it's kind of a, I mean, metaphorical, not even metaphorical. It's a representation of, of the, of the, the, the predicament and the plight of the, the running back in the modern era. Uh, this isn't 1970 or 1980. Having great individual running backs does not drive winning anymore. It just doesn't. Look at who the Chiefs had. Look at who Philadelphia had. Those are more so systems predicated on, on the offensive line, on the structure of the offense, as opposed to having a first or first round running back or a top five, top three running back in the NFL. That is the focal point of the offense. I say all that to say, I understand both sides of this, DC. You're a running back. You're, Josh Jacobs is 25 years old. The lifespans of running backs are super, super short. The way he used, the way he was used last season, the wear and tear that the Raiders put on him, he wants to be compensated. He proved he could handle that. He played as well as pretty much any running back in any single season in Raiders history has ever played. Like if I was him, I'd want every dollar that I could possibly get. I would want a long-term contract. I would want guaranteed money. You know, I would want to be guaranteed on the higher end of running back salaries. Those, those wants and his ass, those are totally legitimate. Like if, if you were his agent, you'd be trying to get every dollar that you can too, especially when you have seen kind of the precedent for, for running backs and, and what, what teams, what, what top running backs have been paid the last three years. Conversely, if you're the Raiders, again, going back to what I just said, they were six and 11 with Josh Jacobs as their franchise running back and constructing a good offensive line. And finding quality running backs in the third, fourth, fifth round that are relatively cheap, that's the way to go. That's the way that a lot of the top teams do it, do it. So you understand from their perspective, the trepidation of giving Josh Jacobs a long-term contract. It seems like they're just kind of in a staring match. And again, I get both sides. I feel for Josh Jacobs. He's earned, he's earned a long-term deal. There's no denying that. And he should be compensated for what he's done and what he's provided for the organization. At the same time, like, is that good business? For the Raiders, is it smart for them, given the needs that they have on the defensive side of the ball, how far they are from competing for a championship? Is it prudent to, for them to give long-term guaranteed money to a running back when they could feasibly, you know, construct a, a really good offensive line and find ways to place his, replace his production uh, for, for, for less? We'll see if this, we'll see if and when the staring contest ends. They, they place the franchise tag on Josh Jacobs, $10.1 million. That's a that's that's a half that's that's a nice payday yep. uh, for a running back for one season. Problem is, if he gets hurt and has a career-ending injury, there's no stability on that, and that might be it. That might be his last payday if he signs it. So, totally understandable why these sides are where they're at. And I don't, I mean, as of right now, I don't envision the leaders giving him long-term money. And as we saw Tom Pelissero's report today from NFL Network, yep. Josh Jacobs holds out, holds out. This thing, I think, can get pretty ugly. So, 
uh, it's a case of both sides are right in their ways of thinking. Like both sides are absolutely 100% right. And it's been, it'll make for an interesting uh, kind of subplot as training camp gets going. Uh, as it pertains to Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, if he's healthy, TC, it's a big hit. Uh, if he's healthy and, again, Josh Jacobs, they find a way to get this thing done and he's back, you have the makings of a pretty, pretty rock-solid offense, I, I think, with Devontae Adams on the perimeter, with uh, Jacoby Myers now on the slot, with Hunter Renfro, you have Matthew Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, along with Austin Hooper. They're not Darren Waller, but can they give you some of what Darren Waller did? Can you replace that production? And then Garoppolo being able to distribute, get the ball out quickly, familiar with Josh McDaniels' system. Uh, there's a world in which the Raiders, are, I think, were one of the top ten offensive teams uh, in the league. But if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't healthy, and we, we, you know, everything from the Raiders' side from both sides seems like there's nobody's worried. He did sign the contract. As, as weird as it is, he signed it. That's obviously a bet on himself. If he passes his physical. Uh, again, regardless, I don't, I'm not saying the Raiders are going to be really good as a whole because the, the defense is, who knows, it's going to be really young and it's been really bad to begin with. So I can't imagine the defense totally retooling. I don't think the Raiders are a playoff team this year by any means, but on the offensive side of the ball, you, you, you could give yourself a chance to maybe compete if Jimmy Garoppolo's healthy because of the weapons they have. So a lot to, a lot to kind of follow and pay attention to as we get into camp and just not a lot of answers available right now, but. Uh, if both those guys are available, again, TC, I think the Raiders, given their personnel, given Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo's familiarity uh, with the scheme, and then we'll see what Josh McDaniels learned from year one to year two in terms of you know his responsibilities as a head coach, how to get more out of the offense. They were solid last year. I think they finished 11th or 12th, but it certainly didn't feel like smooth sailing all the time. So uh, a lot to kind of resolve and figure out by then. We'll see if it happens. Agree on all points, Sam. Great stuff, brother. I'll look forward to seeing you on Thursday. No doubt. See you Thursday, TC. Looking forward to it as well. Take care. Sam Gordon, Las Vegas Review Journal. Check out his columns. Fantastic. Covering all things Las Vegas. All right. Come back. Hour number two. Chuck Esposito is going to join us. We hit more for you right here. Your phone calls as well. Hit me up. 702-221-7283. As we continue on a terrible Tuesday. Tuesday.